0: Uh, one of the big stories in the news these days in Eretz Yisrael is the the consideration of uh, changing the laws in terms of the exemptions of Yeshiva Bahram serving in the army, and this is a highly contentious issue, and you see on the news there are people tearing Kriya publicly or dancing in the streets publicly, depending on which way the wind blew on that particular day, so I thought it would be uh, an appropriate uh, discussion to just at least give a little bit of the Rashi Prakim of what what is our ideal picture of uh, of yeshiva bachrim and the army and army service. Meaning, is it something that we view as on the, on the one extreme something that's uh, that's it's pikuach nefesh of. Uh, of, of their neshamos and we should and there's a gzera of uh, malchus harisha to uh, try to destroy yahudus in yet another way or on the other extreme is it the biggest mitzvah in the world and therefore everyone should stop and Mi mechupasa should go help and certainly yeshiva Bacharim should go help or maybe there's some, something in between that's, uh, that's ideal so uh, this uh, discussion is based on a very nice article that was published before this whole controversy broke out um, yeah, by Rabbi Chaim Jackter in his gray matter, he was just discussing in general. Uh, from an ideal perspective, without you know, without any threat of repealing any laws or changing any laws or declaring anything unconstitutional, just ideally speaking, is it something that I, the idea of hesder, let's say, is that something that's ideal or is that a significant what, what How exactly are we supposed to uh, view it? So, first of all, historically, many of our great spiritual leaders throughout our history, Avram Avinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, Yeshua, David, they were all uh, very, very important tzaddikim, and they were also very Excellent at waging war. They were great warriors in our history as well. The says that uh, when David would, would, would learn Torah, he'd be soft like a worm and then when he would fight in a war he would uh, he would be stiff and, and, and hard like, like wood. He would be so tough, he would be so strong in fighting a war. He had this dual not, uh, not, not not contradictory but dual personality. He knew how to control himself in a certain way when he was learning Torah and act in a different way when he was fighting wars for Klal Yisal, The Rambam in the 11th paragraph of Elchus describes what Mashiach is going to be like and he is going to explain that he's uh, the Ram explains that the Mashiach is going to be someone who's devoted completely to Torah Shebech Sav and Torah Shebal Peh, and he's going to get the entire Jewish people to follow uh, the Torah and he's going to lead a tremendous Balchuva movement and he's also going to lead the people in battle. So the notion of a person who excels spiritually and at the same time engages in the wars of Klal Yisrael is not something that's foreign to us, Ad Rabbah it's something that's an ideal in our both historically and in Jewish destiny what we what we view as uh, as, as coming up with the uh, with the coming of Mashiach. Rashi in Sefer Bamidbar Perak Lamanal of says that the soldiers in the wars against Amalek and the soldiers in the wars against Midian were Dafka chosen based on their level of Tzitkos. We needed good people fighting in our wars because we need their zuchliyot. So it's very important to have people who have a certain spiritual stature to fight in our wars. So what are the reasons that, uh, that there are those who say that we shouldn't have Yeshiva Bakrim fighting at all? So there are a number of, of arguments put forth. Number one is the idea of Shevet Levi. The Rambam in the very end of Hilkash Shemitah of Peret Yud Gimel, the very last Halacha, Halach Yud Gimel, he describes why Shevet Levi didn't get a Nachla in Eretz Yisrael. uh, And he says, Mm -hmm. Shevet Levi was designated for spiritual... Accomplishment. So they were huved lumi olam lo Orchim milchama kisar yisrael. They do not wage war like the rest of the Jewish people. And it goes on to describe other unique characteristics of Shevet Levi. And then the Rambam says very famously in the last halacha, velo Shevet Levi bulvad elikol ish veish mikalbae olam ashenad varucho oso vehivinu madol lahavde lamul dufnei Hashem lisharsula avdol ladeias Hashem valach yasher kamo chasavalkin u parakmeatsavaro ola khishbonosorab mashe adam harazen niskadesh kodesh kadasha kadashim Says the Rambam, someone who, uh, who who it's not only it's not only limited for people in Shavuot Levi, someone who's completely dedicated to Torah and literally becomes kodesh Kadashim will also have a halachic status of Shevet Levi. So uh, based on the Apostle, David Amel himself says that uh, a person can have a gorol of having Hashem, that that's his, uh, his, his lot in life. So the question is, is this Rambam a viable source to suggest that any Ben Yeshiva who wants to learn Torah should be exempt from fighting in the army? So there are a number of reasons to suggest that maybe this Rambam is not the best source to let all the Ben Yeshiva not fight in the army. First of all, the Rambam, when Whenever he ends any section of Mishnah Torah, he always ends with a Dvaragada. So this is the very last line in the section of Mishnah Torah. Not so clear that it's a It may be a Dvaragada. Okay, that's not the strongest argument, but it's an argument. Second, the Rambam points to Davra Melech. As one of the great military leaders, and that's who the Rambam closes this halacha with, right? Davar Melch fought wars. Yadav Melchalchos Bedam, not Shvir and Dabshuliy and Paskeni halachos, but also in Melchama uh, he fought wars, and that's what the Rambam quotes as the paradigm over here of the guy who's low shave at Levi Boulevard, but anyone who uh, dedicates himself. And furthermore, how do how exactly does one define who is Kodesh Kadashim? What percentage of the population can really be Kodesh kodashim? Let's say as the, uh, the, the statistics continue to go in a direction where the Haredim are reproducing at a very, very rapid rate... And the uh, chilonim are reproducing at a much, uh, much, much uh, slower rate. So uh, the statistics are going to be that there are going to be way, way more charedim, let's say, than there will be chilonim. So you're going to say that every that 70% of the country, 60% of the country, are all kodesh kadashim Halavai. But is that really something that we could uh, that we could truly suggest? Furthermore, whether Levi actually served in the army or not is somewhat debatable. It's not 100% clear that they did not serve in the army. The Radak and Shmuel Bayz Perichav Gimel Pasachav, claims that in wars against the enemies, even Kohanim, who ordinarily would not even be able to be in time in Mace, were involved in active military duty. The Gemara and in Kiddush in Chafal, from and the Rambam in Malachim, Adalid, discusses halachos of a Kohen who fights in wars. Right, What happens when a Kohen fights in wars in terms of Berks Kohanim, etc.? So there is an assumption that some members of Shevet Levi, at least, were, uh, were fighting in wars. On the other hand, whenever the Torah counts, kol Yosei tzava, and it tells us who, is the, who are the ones and counts the numbers of those who fought in wars, Shevet Levi was not included in the counts of those uh, who fought in wars. So the next, question we have to ask ourselves is: Okay, what are what is the status of the wars that 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 the state of Israel fights? Are these milchamos mitzvah? Milchamos mitzvah. Everyone's got to go. Afilu uh, kala mechupasa has to go to milchamos mitzvah. Um, so uh, so is even a Talmud Chacham? It's explicit. The Karanora writes in Sotah and base Not just a, if a kala has to go for sure. A Talmud Chacham who's learning Torah has to interrupt his uh, Talmud Torah to go if it's a milchamos mitzvah. So uh, Rav Shechter writes in Bigfatzon. Os Dali that um, the definition of Melchamas Rishus is to get Rishus from the Bezna Hagadol, as opposed to Melchamas Mitzvahs, any war that you wouldn't need Rishus from the Beis Hagadol. So uh, he says, it seems that, over Pashut, that whatever kind of war and the Ummos Ha'olem are permitted to fight, because they obviously don't get rishos from the Bezna Gadol, so whatever wars they're permitted to fight would by definition be considered a Melchemist Mitzvah, and therefore when when the State of Israel fights such a war that the Ummos would also be permitted to fight, that would be a Melchemist Mitzvah. So let's say, for instance, this, uh, he gave this example uh, back when this was a, uh, a, a viable example. The Soviets were to come and say, We want Washington, D.C. Uh, we, we're not going to kill anybody if you just hand over Washington, D.C. But if you don't hand over Washington, D.C., well then we're going we're to attack. Do we have to hand over Washington, D.C.? Can we fight to try to protect land and to keep as much land as, as, as we can? So no one would say that America has to just start handing over land because of the threat of war. We don't, we need, we don't need to get rishos from the Bezina Obviously America is allowed to fight such a defensive war and even preemptively one would assume if uh, to, to deter an enemy who seems to be To be bent on destroying us, to deter him from coming and attacking us and to fight them in, as, as, as a way of deterring them, it would seem to be that's something that any nation in the world is permitted to do and if any nation in the world is permitted to do it so, argues Rav that would be considered Melchemist Mitzvah by definition. Now that's not what Rabbi Jachter quotes, he quotes other sources to suggest that it, that it is Melchemist Mitzvah but that's how uh, Rav Schechter understands. What other possible exemptions might there be? So there is a concept called, uh, we learned about, Masechus Brachus, Tafilalif, Masechus Sukkot, Hafei, Haosik be a mitzvah. so a guy is sitting and learning Torah he's also a mitzvah so maybe you could argue that yes it's a great mitzvah to fight the wars of Qal Yisrael but if someone's also a mitzvah they could still be patr from uh, from doing another another mitzvah so uh, the the problem with uh, applying this is that the Gemara Mesachim, and Aftes tells us that also mitzvah a mitzvah does not seem to apply to someone who's learning Torah meaning if you are learning Torah and there's no one else to go do a mitzvah so then you are obligated to go do that mitzvah you do have to stop learning Torah to go do that mitzvah ah but therein lies an important distinction if there's nobody else available to go do that mitzvah so how do we define this? So then what we would need to do is figure out maybe this changed over the course of, of time, over the course of history. Maybe when the numbers of Haredim were so minimal, like in the times that the Chaznish originally negotiated this uh, this deal, where they figured, you know what, in another 10 years there won't be any Haredim any, anyway, and then uh, everyone's gonna fight in the army. So then maybe when the numbers are so minimal, so then, yeah, there are plenty of other people that could do it. They didn't need the Haredim in the army. They didn't need the front people fighting in the, uh, in the army. Um, the, but, but as the numbers change and the government realizes that we, we're going to need more help and that the numbers are not going to be there so then you don't have someone else to do the mitzvah so then you would not be able to apply osik be-mitzvah, patr, mina mitzvah another, uh, another uh, consideration Ravichil Mikhail, Mikhail Tukchinsky in HaTorah medina uh, suggests that maybe based on the Gemara Mabbasr Dav Ches. The Gemara tells us Mabbasr that members of a community have to contribute to certain things that the entire community benefits from, like a police force, garbage pickup, paving the streets, you know, the things that, uh, taxes that pay for things that the entire community benefits from. Shaftar often points out this is not a din in taxes per se, like when we talk about Din Malchus Adina and taxes, that's normally talking about just the king wanting the money to collect for himself, for his treasury, for his horses, for whatever. But this is, uh, this is a din in shutfus. If you live in a co-op, so you, you pay the fees so that the light bulbs will be changed in the hallway and the gardener will come and mow the lawn in the front of the building, even though it's not only yours, but you're, you're a shutfus with everybody else, so you have to pay the fees. So that's that's how So the Gemara Mbavasu talks about this uh, idea. And the Gemara says, but Talmidei Chachamim don't have to pay the fees for the walls and for the police force. And so the reason they have to do that is because the Rabbanan, nitirusa, the Rabbanan don't require any protection. Their Torah protects them. So perhaps one could argue that uh, fighting uh, the wars of Eretz Yisrael is important to protect Eretz Yisrael, but maybe the Rabbanan shouldn't have to contribute to that because they don't need Nitirusa. They don't need protection, just like they don't don't install locks on their houses and alarm systems on their houses. I'm just kidding, I assume they do install locks on their houses and alarms, but that's the issue over here. I mean, how do we define who does and does not require protection? Right, that's going to be very difficult to uh, to define. Who's going to get up and say, you know what? I don't need any protection. My Torah is going to protect me. You have to be pretty confident to make such a uh, such an important declaration. So uh, you could argue that this is uh, that this, this is not a valid uh, valid way out. Now let's be very very clear. We as religious Jews strongly believe that our spiritual zuchiyos are at least as important in defending the country, in defending the state of Israel, in defending the Jewish people, klal Israel, am Yisrael, as our physical power and our efforts and our ishtadlus in on the physical level that, that, that the idea that people sitting and learning Torah is a great protection for the state of Israel and for Am Yisrael is something that is that should not be lost on us it's something that is of critical critical importance in our understanding of the mechanics of Klal Yisrael the question just becomes can everybody take that uh, take that side and say we're all going to do this and we're not going to and we're going to leave the the uh, we're going to leave the troops shorthanded because uh, we feel that we belong in the uh, in the base of medrash, the idea that there needs to be people in the base of medrash, I think most would agree that uh, most religious people would agree that there needs to be somebody in the base of medrash. It's a question of numbers. Rav Shechter used to always say, I don't know how practical it is to implement. I think this is what the suggestion the government had that they should give bechinas. That, uh, that uh, they should give bechinas and see who's really learning and see if they're really learning very well. And people who are really uh, thriving in their learning and really being matzliach, so good, let them sit and learn and let them succeed and let them defend Kali Israel that way. One of the Hasidish rebbes, I just read in the Jerusalem Post online, one of the Hasidish rebbes came out and said, Adar Abba, what really defends us is not our military strength, it's our. Torah learning and therefore all the Chilonim should be required to go to yeshiva forget about all the Charedim going to, uh, to the army all the Chilonim should have to go to yeshiva there is a balance. There is a balance of the two. We believe that we, need, that we need both, but it's a very, very difficult balance. This is just hopefully to give you a little bit of, uh, of a background to what the issues might be about yeshiva without getting involved in uh, any political uh, conclusions or you know, just to give you a little bit of an idea of what the issues are when, uh, when dealing with uh, the yeshiva boys serving the army. Obviously, like all of our time, Allah topics, but especially this one, it's a much, much, much bigger topic. Uh, you could read away Jackson's article as a starting point, and then read all the sources that he quotes as a uh, right after a starting point is like chapter one of your studies, and you could study this for a very long time and try to figure it out. Okay. Swimsuit check, sunscreen check, phone charger check.